Let's do this. What is virtualization? You're going to learn today. Innovate like a startup, deliver like an enterprise. I hope you're coffeeed up and ready because it's going to be a great day. I know you're going to dig this. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Virtually Speaking Podcast with Pedro Arrow and John Nicholson. Good afternoon and welcome to the Virtually Speaking Podcast, episode number 215. My name is Pete Fletcher, a.k.a. Pedro Arrow, and joining me once again is my good friend, Mr. John Nicholson. John, how you doing? I'm feeling a little tired, Pete. Um, you know, part of it's being a new parent, you know, kids wake up in the oh, middle yeah. of the night, but part of it is um, we've had a lot of work to do lately. <laughs> I mean, we got, obviously, we're getting our bags packed for... Uh, for San Francisco and Barcelona. But oh, yeah. um, the other thing here is, is, you know, it's, it's product launch time it like sure this. Is. We've got this VSAN eight we've got, you know, and it, this is, I've been doing the VSAN thing for a while. You know, this, this hat may be new, but you know, I've been writing, <laughs> writing this horse for a while. And this feels like the biggest release we've had at least in six two, if ever. Oh so. I, yeah. That's a great comparison actually. Yeah. I, we've been on the VSAN team for a while, you and I, and I remember 6.2 was huge, right? There was, that was a, that was when, in my opinion, VSAN went from maybe some use cases to, oh yeah, we got you. We can, we can do this. And uh, yeah, VSAN hasn't turned back, hasn't looked back in a while, but yeah, I would agree. VSAN 8 from what I've read is probably going to be the biggest uh, change in architecture. And I think it's going to be something a lot of customers are going to be interested in. Uh, and we cannot have a good vSAN conversation without our partner in crime, our good friend, Mr. Pete Keeler. Pete, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, Pete. Hi there, John. And yeah, I am thrilled to talk about this release. I mean, it is, it's been a long time in coming in a lot of different ways, but uh, I think it's going to be well worth it for our customers and uh, they're going to see why. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Pete, I, I think, you know, maybe the best place to start very briefly, I think most people that listen to virtually speaking are <clears throat> fairly technical uh, and may already have a pretty good understanding of vSAM, but let's just, let's just Let's just set the stage. Uh, let's go back to 2012. vSAN you know, was doing great things uh, compared to now. What has changed uh, and why is this so important now to vSAN? Yeah, I think, uh, Pete, in order to understand what we've done with vSAN 8, we really need to kind of take that step back and understand what it what the landscape looked like at that time. We had hard drives that were, I mean, they were spinning media. Uh, hey, does anybody remember those? You know, it's it was such a different time. And yes, there was flash, but it was slow and it was really expensive. Oh, yeah. And it used a lot of those old uh, bus protocols, those interfaces that were meant for spinning media. So yeah, it was there, but you know, <laughs> it, it, it was really quite rare. And then the fact of other server hardware, I mean, you, you had um, uh, smaller CPUs, you had one gig networking. How about that for a throwback, right? I mean, that that's <laughs> that's another thing that we have to factor in of what that landscape looked like at that yeah. time. And and it, it was really um, uh, such a different time when you compare it to the way that it is right now. Here we have uh, NAND flash that is built, almost assumed now that it's using NVMe um, uh, there are the NVMe interface, uh, that bus protocol. So extremely fast. We can push so much data now 
to a given storage device that that really changes the makeup of things. You have CPU cores that are really dense now, and you have networking that is as high as 100 gig networking that's actually still a reasonable price for a lot of our consumers. So, we, you know, when you compare those two things, you can see why that, you know, hey, maybe we need to rethink how um, the the services and the software is built so that we can do it in uh, the best way possible and the most optimal way uh, possible for our customers. Yeah, I would agree. I would say that in, in 2012 or in early days of vSAN, based on the, the hardware uh, that was available at that time, uh, that really dictated what the architecture looked like of vSAN. Uh, you know, you may, it was made uh, to accommodate for, for the, the, the shortness, uh, you know, the lack of hardware resources that were available at the time, the price and all that. So, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Uh, and I know we're going to peel back the layers uh, in a little bit here. But, yeah, it makes sense that now with all of those factors not in the way, uh, it makes sense that, that vSAN gets a new, uh, a new architecture. So let's talk about it then. What is the big change in vSAN 8? Right. So with vSAN 8, what we're really introducing is a new optional uh, architecture. Uh, and this is known as the vSAN Express storage architecture. It's, it's really a next generation based architecture that is hardware optimized. So we can exploit the full capabilities of these uh, really fast storage devices, really fast uh, protocols, networking that is extremely fast. And when we do that, we can also deliver new functionality and feature sets that uh, will make the data much more efficient, um, much more space efficient, much more uh, computationally efficient. So they can do more with what they already have. And that's really the secret behind uh, what this is. Now, many of our existing vSAN customers, they, they may be sort of wondering, well, what, you know, what is this? Do I have to rip out what I have and, and things like that? That's not the case at all. We, we've integrated this optional architecture in the product in such a way where they can simply choose at, at the time of deployment, do they want to use the original storage architecture, which is the architecture that was included in uh, previous versions of vSAN and in vSAN 8, or do they want to use the express storage architecture, which will be available when they're running uh, qualified ready nodes uh, that have been approved for use with the express storage architecture. So, so Pete, you had that caveat on, on the end there of, you know, with qualified ready nodes, with the qualified devices, for a customer who has bought that bill of materials, who has those drives, um, is this something to where the ESA is something that, well, they might turn on? Is this something that if I'm looking to design, you know, I might go with I might go with the original. It's kind of like when some of the storage vendors came out. Oh, we have this new all flash thing that's really NVMe optimized. And I'd look at it and go, oh, that looks cool. Oh, that's kind of pricey or, oh, that's only for certain use cases. Where are you kind of seeing that that diagram of what people are going to want in it being the express storage architecture? With the new ac architecture, I think uh, it's going to be an easier decision than it first uh, may uh, present itself as. So, um, and the reason, one of the reasons being is, is that uh, it is built, this, this flexible architecture is really built around this notion of being able to uh, provide uh, capacity um, without using uh, two discrete tiers. So a caching tier and a capacity tier, meaning that uh, we can deliver much more storage capacity for the same amount of cost. 
Plus, we can uh, take advantage of some of our new uh, performance enhancements that allows our customers to run these workloads in a really space-efficient way using RAID 5, RAID 6 erasure coding without any performance penalty. So from a, from a decision standpoint, if the customer is uh, doing a refresh on their hardware or they're um, expanding their purchasing additional hardware, um, it really makes all the sense in the world for them to go the route of the ESA. And I, I think we'll certainly be having some material that will help them understand that uh, total cost of ownership and the significant advantage that they're going to have by going that route. Yeah, I'm doing some napkin math here, and this looks cheaper just, you know, pretty quickly. <laughs> you mentioned about being able to adopt that RAID 5, RAID 6. Uh, can we going a bit deeper there in terms of what's different with erasure codes. I know before we had RAID 5, it was a 3 plus 1. Uh, we had RAID 6, it was a 4 plus 2. Um, for reads, performance was the same. For writes, you had some amplification you had to worry about. And so if you had a real high streaming write, you might still crawl back to RAID 1. Um, what's what's different there? Yeah, so there's several things, but we'll sort of uh, keep this contained within uh, um, something that most people, uh, most listeners will be able to sort of remember here. Uh, the first part is we've introduced a new uh, log structured file system within the actual vSAN storage stack. And what this is really geared at doing is being able to ingest writes really quickly and assemble that data and the associated metadata and uh, package that up so that then it can send it to the storage devices across those hosts that make up the cluster in a really efficient way. And that's how we're able to achieve um, some of these really great uh, performance results as a result. But it's not just that, of course. It's, it's We've had to make some adjustments lower down in the stack to make sure that we can exploit the full capabilities of those storage devices, which ultimately is the combination of those two things that allows us to create a single tier architecture when you're using uh, NVMe-based TLC storage devices. So then as a result, we're able to take those erasure codes that we were using, like RAID, RAID 6 and RAID 5, and adjust them in such a way where now the customer is going to have so much more flexibility in being able to have this very deterministic space efficiency but even in a smaller cluster size, as small as three hosts. And that's something that we couldn't do with the original storage architecture. Oh, wow. So we can do a two plus one and do RAID 5 on a three node cluster. Exactly. Wow. And even better is, is that when we choose, when the customer chooses uh, to use RAID 5, and for some reason or another, um, they have to remove a host out of a cluster, or maybe they just have another, uh, or they just have a smaller cluster, it's going to figure out which RAID 5 erasure code will fit within that cluster size and just use that. And if there's an adjustment in the cluster, it's going to adjust accordingly. Nothing needs to be changed on the user's behalf. So it's just easy. Okay. Oh, wow. Dyna dynamic parity stripe width. That's fancy. Yeah, that's it nice. is. And 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 look, it's guaranteed um, space savings for our customers. I mean, who who doesn't want that? And you're going to see that recurring theme about just trying to do more with what you already have. And you're using the same software you have in the past. Even though we're introducing this new optional architecture, it basically looks and feels the very same way. 
um, there are some that really the only differences are the areas of where we've made it easier. Uh, and that's for, you know, servicing storage devices and things like that. Very nice. So I, I know uh, the previous architecture using disk groups um, certainly had some, you know, there were certainly some things to consider around uh, capacity consumption, availability, uh, and also performance. And, and, and those three areas would dictate how many disk groups you had and how you would react uh, in, 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 the, in a potential failure. How does this new architecture um, change the way we did things with the two-tier architecture? Yeah, and I think it, it simplifies this notion of design and operation for our customers. So, um, you know, when we think about what a disk group was, that was sort of a unit of storage resources, and it was sort of a bundled package of uh, performance and uh, capacity. But it was this fixed unit that we would uh, provide um, uh, vSAN so that it, it, it could ultimately serve up these resources for the various workloads. But the challenge with that was is that that logical unit may come into play in some situations where you have a failure scenario or you have a maintenance condition that you need to address. Since we remove that notion of a disk group and we're just claiming the storage devices uh, into what we refer to now as a storage pool, um, there's, there's one storage pool per uh, vSAN host within the vSAN cluster. And those storage pools contribute to that single data store for that vSAN cluster. But when it's using that model, then there can be situations where if you have a failure of a storage device, uh, or if you want to add more um, storage devices, you're not running into the challenges of, okay, how many disk groups should I create or how many uh, disk groups should I have in the first place? Uh, should they be uh, symmetrical or should they not be? We remove all of that entirely. And that's one of the profound uh, impacts that the ESA has in a vSAN cluster. It's just fundamentally going to make that process easier and more cost efficient. So Pete, um, it looks like there's been some changes to how compression and encryption work specifically. Yeah, this is a really a byproduct of what we've introduced with the new architecture. It's sort of allowed us to rethink where some of these data services and some of the functions live in the storage stack. Um, so for example, uh, in the past, we used to do uh, compression uh, at the one of the lowest layers within vSAN. So just as it was landing on the storage devices within um, the uh, disk groups of the hosts that make up the vSAN cluster. Well, that means that that would occur on each and every host that the data was being you know, fully replicated uh, to. Well, because we have this new really fast uh, log structured file system and and you know the other optimizations in the stack now we've sort of we're allowed to rethink where those data services lived now compression lives up at the top of the stack meaning that uh, the compression itself occurs once and then the end result is that then as the data is synchronously replicated to the other hosts it doesn't need to do any additional effort on those other respective hosts. So you have a reduced amount of uh, computational effort across the hosts. You have a reduced amount of network traffic across the hosts. And as a result of some of the other enhancements that we've done for uh, compression, we're able to get much better compression ratios. Uh, we we um, analyze things at 
the per sector size. Uh, and so we're able to uh, shrink that data down when it is uh, able to be compressible uh, down to one, a, a theoretical maximum of one eighth of the size uh, as it's fully inflated. So that's a great example of how uh, compression works. I really like that kind of approach um, in terms of being able to move that stuff closer to the virtual machine and change kind of the placement so we're no longer um, amplifying and having to do these processes twice. We're able to get better with the efficiency of how we implement these features uh, while still using less overhead because at the end of the day, well, you know, CPU cores, there's a lot more of them than there was in vSAN 5.5. Um, it's nice if we don't have to use them all for storage. Indeed, and that's, um, I think, one of the common themes here. It's not just about how much uh, additional performance we're able to deliver uh, to the VMs. It's at what cost, at what uh, technical cost, you know, CPU cycles, network cycles, does it take to deliver that? Because ultimately, if we can shrink that down, that means you can do more with those very same hosts running the express storage architecture than you would using the original storage architecture. So things like the encryption services, which is also available uh, within uh, the ESA. We move that up the stack as well. So now we don't have to do any sort of decrypt re-encrypt cycles, ah. which is, you know, again, it's sort of addition by subtraction. We can get rid of some of these steps by virtue of rethinking where it lives in the first place. And then when you enable encryption, um, it inherently is uh, encrypted in transit and at rest, as opposed to having the two discrete uh, functions that were available uh, within the original storage architecture. Right, right, yeah. Okay. Well, and, uh, th that in transit encryption is really handy because that's something for a long time being a storage admin, um, when security came asking, you know, in the fiber channel world, we're like, ah, it's not on Ethernet, go away. And then as we move stuff over to iSCSI, we're like, look, we have dedicated stuff, we isolate it layer two. And, and to be fair for vSAN, you know, just saying, hey, look, let's just not route or firewall off, you know, access to the subnet, let it exist on its own. But we are seeing more security, more compliance start to ask hard questions of why isn't all of the storage encrypted end to end? And previously, we didn't have enough uh, CPU cycles to do that necessarily in an efficient manner. But with these monstrously powerful encryption offload engines, um, it looks like that's something we can do and not have to, you know, dedicate an entire CPU socket to it or anything. Indeed, when we can remove some of the decision processes for the administrator, it's just going to make it easier. And they don't need to uh, run the risk of making the wrong choice, which is something that we all can do uh, very easily. It's not intended, but you're just trying your best and you and you uh, try to figure out which way to go, and it might be the wrong choice for them. And, and so here we're just making things simpler. Absolutely. So Pete, yeah, I, I know we're running out of time. Um, I did, I, I know that, you know, this is launch day for, for vSAN 8. There's plenty of technical resources out there on core.vmware.com, uh, demo videos, really technical blog posts. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, there's also a great VMware Explore session by two of my buddies, uh, Pete Keeler and John Nicholson, uh, a technical deep dive into, into vSAN. And so links to that in the show notes as well. Um, but before we go, what other usability improvements uh, should we be aware about with vSAN 8? Yeah, we've made a lot of usability improvements that 
work across both of the architectures. You know, we wanted to sort of look at some things holistically uh, there in regards to to um, uh, what our users are going to be experiencing. Because remember, you can upgrade uh, to vSAN 8 and, and uh, um, a cluster can be running the original storage architecture or the express storage architecture. And so we have a lot of um, uh, various enhancements that are going to improve the ease of use and the functionality. One of them, of course, is uh, one of the, uh, uh, we've improved the cloud connectivity for the health checks. Uh, it's what's known as proactive insight, um, where you do not need to enable the customer experience improvement program or CEIP. And this is really ideal for some of those customers that maybe couldn't get, uh, you know, uh, some sort of approval um, for uh, enabling that feature. And this is just going to be able to deliver that intelligence to the clusters uh, in a much more efficient manner. And, and we've also made some, some additional improvements to uh, the original storage architecture and uh, things like increasing the write buffer uh, from the logical limit of 600 gig up to 1.6 uh, terabytes uh, per disk group. So um, some nice, exciting changes uh, for those customers as well. So obviously this is a really, uh, to me, this is a, this is a really awesome release. I love the idea of having this new architecture when folks deploy vSAN 8, there's an option between the original and, and the new architecture. Is that correct? Yeah. And there's some built-in health checks that are going to help guide you to see if you have, you know, some of the qualified hardware. Um, right now with vSAN 8, uh, it's only achievable through those uh, qualified ready nodes uh, within our vSAN ready node uh, program. Um, and it's accepting of uh, um, NVMe-based uh, TLC flash devices. Uh, and there will be other, you know, various requirements. Uh, but um, that's how they will achieve that. But it's at the time of the cluster creation uh, that they will make the choice. Very nice. Yeah, this is exciting. I mean, we've been doing vSAN launches for years. And, uh, you know, it's it's really nice. to. I know for a fact, you know, behind the scenes, uh, the three of us have had many a conversation around this new architecture with, with various code names. Uh, but wow, it almost feels weird talking about it in public now that it's actually here. So I'm excited for it. Uh, I, I want to thank both you guys for doing all the hard work on the vSAN team and creating all this great content. Uh, uh, wish you the best of luck uh, at VMware Explore on your sessions. And uh, John, any closing thoughts before we uh, before we get out of here on vSAN eight? I mean, again, this is this is the biggest release um, I've probably seen since six two, if not the biggest ever. Uh, this is something that you definitely, if you've had workloads, really, we're maybe saying vSAN wasn't a fit before. Maybe you know, you, it could be as simple as you know, you're really wanted some fancy snapshots or things there's a lot going on here there's a lot on this release check out our session um it's recorded uh for the vmware explorer pete and i have as well as go to core.vmware.com where you'll find all of the uh new design guides and other things as they get updated and john i'm gonna one-up you here on it i say it is the biggest release ever uh mostly because i wasn't here for uh, version <laughs> 6.2 so uh, <laughs> but but let's just go with the biggest version ever. Ever. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right, gentlemen, that music tells me it's time to go. And so if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast at VMware.com. You can subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice by searching Virtually Speaking Podcast. You can catch this in all episodes at vspeakingpodcast.com. A big thanks to our good friend Pete Kieler for joining us this week. We're back next week, but until then... 
Bye for now. Very good. Very good. Thank you, gentlemen. And uh, man, Pete, uh, great work on Vsen 8, my friend. Oh, thanks. No, just plugging right along. It's, it's, I, I'm the one trick pony. <laughs> now get to work on Vsen 9. Yeah. <laughs> Oh no! Can't you can't share code names yet? Yeah, yeah. Can't yeah, share. We're going straight. To, we're going straight to eleven. We're going straight <laughs> yeah. to eleven. Like, yeah, we'll in twenty twenty four.